who are you? What do you build your identity upon? You know, most people, they build their identity on what they can see. And so uh, my identity is that I'm married to this visible person, or my identity is my visible job, or my identity is uh, my visible skill set. I play piano, or I, I play basketball. The problem is that if you base your identity on uh, something you can see, you're basing your identity on something you can lose. I mean, what if you lose that relationship? What if you lose that job, lose that skill set? Then what? That's why Jesus calls me to build my identity on his unseen, his, the unseen relationship with him. Because the life that I am looking for is just beyond what I can see. This identity theme threads through Jesus' letter. The risen Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, where Jesus says this. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So this theme of the believer's identity in Jesus threads through this entire letter with the climax where Jesus gives a white stone bearing a new name. Because Jesus wants to help me find myself in him and in his unseen power and presence in my life uh, by teaching me who I am not and who I am. First, in this letter to Pergamum, Jesus tells me that I am not where I'm living. I am who I'm living for. Jesus begins the letter by saying, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, where Satan lives. And I probably don't need to say this, but Jesus is talking figuratively. It's not like the devil got a good deal on a condo in Pergamum near the nightclubs or something. No, what Jesus says here is that where Satan lives is that place where the, the culture is dark and destructive, full of threats and temptations that make it hard for my people to follow me, Jesus says. But the believers in Pergamum, they remain true to the name of Jesus. And Jesus applauds them saying, even though you live where Satan lives. You're not living for darkness. You're living for me. And this is one of the dominant themes in this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. In Revelation, Jesus pulls back the curtain to reveal that 
It is impossible to stand on middle ground in this world as a human being, but that every person is claimed. Every person is either claimed by the spirit of the true Christ or claimed by the spirit of the anti-Christ. In Revelation, everyone either bears the marks of Jesus' Holy Spirit or they bear the mark of the beast. And this mark has nothing to do with where I'm living. It is determined by who I am living for. And Revelation chapter 13 says that those who are marked by the beast bear this mark on two places on their, bar, on their body. Remember where those places are? The hand and the forehead. And Revelation also indicates that this mark of the beast is a number. It is six. Six, six. So let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about the mark of the beast by going back to the first rule of Bible study that we discussed last time. Uh, the first rule is this. Before I ask what a biblical passage means to me, I must first ask what the author means to communicate to his original readers. People who ignore this rule can end up with wacky theories about the mark of the beast, including how it foretells government tracking devices and implanted microchips and barcodes. And I read one well-known author who maintains that the mark of the beast is credit cards, uh, particularly Visa credit cards. Uh, he maintains that Visa, the word Visa, is code for 666, because the first two letters in Visa are V and I, which are the Roman numeral markings for six. And then he says that the S in Visa corresponds to Sigma, which is the sixth letter in the Greek alphabet. And finally, the letter A corresponds to a Babylonian word starting with A that means six. And so you put this together, and clearly, Revelation 666 is a secret code for Visa, and the mark of the beast is a satanic plan for credit cards. And uh, if you have an overspending family member, this could be just the justification that you have been looking for for cutting that... But uh, the truth is, this visa theory is totally false. First, I highly doubt that this author knows anything about ancient Babylonian uh, and that the word for six in ancient Babylonian doesn't start with A. And the reason I don't think this author knows anything about ancient Babylonian is because I know Greek and sigma is not the sixth letter in the Greek alphabet. It's the 18th letter in the Greek alphabet. So this idea that Visa stands for 666 and credit cards are some satanic plan of the mark of the beast is just another example of the wacky places you end up if uh, you ignore the importance of asking that first question, which is what did the author intend to communicate to his first readers? And I and I think it's just ridiculous to imagine that Jesus was sending a word to his first century readers to beware 
visa that's going to come in 2,000 years, I think. So what is the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13? To understand it, you don't need to know ancient Babylonian. You need to know what the author knew and what his first readers knew, which was the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament, you know that the mark of the beast is the satanic opposite of how in the Old Testament God marked his people symbolically uh, as they were leaving slavery in Egypt. God told his people to remember who they were in him by annually celebrating a Passover feast. And then God says in Exodus 13, this Passover observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. So God says, I want you to put this Passover feast on your hand and on your forehead, which is obviously symbolic. Uh, you can't literally put a feast on your hand or your forehead. So what God was saying is, I want you to put this Passover remembrance of who you are on your hand to remind you that everything you do, every action comes back to you, the fact that you live for me. And put this remembrance of who you are on your forehead. Uh, to remind you that every thought and every attitude and your entire mindset is to be devoted to living for me. Now back to Revelation chapter 13, whose author is Jesus. And if you know the Gospels, you know that Jesus was always making references to the Old Testament. And it's even more so in the book of Revelation. There are 404 verses in Revelation. And there are over 500 Old Testament images and references in Revelation, which means that statistically, you should expect at least one Old Testament image in every verse in Revelation. And the first readers of Revelation knew the Old Testament, and so they knew that the mark of the beast was the opposite of living for God. It was symbolizing living for someone else. Who? Well, that brings us back to the uh, meaning of 666. Revelation chapter 13 says, Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. The, that number is 666. So that number 666 is the number of man, which is a phrase that in one way tells us nothing, but in another way it tells us everything that we need to know. Whereas the followers of Jesus are marked with the Holy Spirit uh, on their hands and their foreheads so that they perform acts and they think thoughts conforming to the the person of Jesus and his love for this world, those who are marked with the hand and forehead with 666 live for man, not God. Their thoughts are devoted to man, particularly themselves and their own selfish thoughts. And their actions are devoted to man, maybe to devoted to a, a person or maybe to the praise of people of man. So all this traces back to my identity, to your identity. Who are you? You're not where you're living. 
You're who you're living for. Another way of putting this is this. If you are living for Jesus, you are not defined by the circumstances of your life. If you're living for Jesus, you're not defined by the situation where, where you are in situationally in your life. I have a friend who has a way of reminding me of this truth uh, all the time. You know, I'll say something like, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And he'll say, well, what are you doing under there? This friend is annoying, uh, but he's also right. Uh, if, if I am living for Jesus, I have no business living under the circumstances. If, I, if I'm following Jesus, even if my job is a miserable job, it doesn't mean I have to be miserable. Just because you're attacked with criticism doesn't mean you have to snap with anger or fall into depression. Just because you experience defeat doesn't mean you have to live there because you're marked with, with Jesus, with, with your hand and your thoughts are devoted to living for God, and that means that you don't have to live under the circumstances. You know, I mentioned recently how uh, my kids are now 16 years old, and they're in the process of getting their driver's licenses, which means that recently I went to the Department of Motor Vehicles and spent the day there. And uh, <laughs> there's one thing I can say about the people who work at the DMV, uh, and that is that these are good people who have ruthlessly eliminated hurry from their life. Uh, unfortunately, some of these folks have also eliminated joy in their life because of the DMV work environment, I'm sure, and the stresses that we bring to them. Uh, and my DMV is arranged as a, a bank of windows, like bank teller windows, uh, all numbered from 1 to 16. And uh, I had... Uh, time to, plenty of time, to look at the windows and just look down the row of windows and I just saw unhappiness and frustration at every window. And everything was different at one window. Uh, window number 14, and the woman who was there as the DMV worker was a ray of sunshine. She had smiles for each person she helped. She referred to each person by name. And it was, she was so friendly, it was troubling. Uh, troubling because people didn't seem to want to leave her window. Uh, but then I realized it didn't matter because my ticket said I was going to window 12. And when I got to window 12, my worker didn't seem very interested in uh, helping me or my kids. In fact, at one point, uh, my worker just walked away, <laughs> and, uh, and it was then where I heard these magical words coming from window 14. She said, I don't believe it's you, Pastor Steve. I go to BlackRock. Here, come over here. I'll help you. <laughs> and because I have Karen, I now can't wait to go back to the DMV. Jesus has one of his people at window 14 at the DMV. And she is marked. Yeah. She is marked with Jesus. And so she acts differently. And she has attitudes that are different. And Karen proves that 
You are not where you're working. You are who you are working for. And if Karen can live for Jesus at the DMV, you can bring the light of Jesus wherever you work or where you live or wherever you go. The next truth uh, that Jesus brings about finding myself in him is that I am not what they demand. I am who Jesus declares. Jesus commended those believers in Pergamum for the way they maintained their true identity where they lived. But then Jesus brought this challenge to them because they were conforming to people pressure when they went to church. Jesus said, you need to stop listening to the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Now, unfortunately, 2,000 years later, we have almost no idea who the Nicolaitans were. Uh, but the experts say that their best guess is that the Nicolaitan group and the Balaam group were two versions of the same false teaching. Uh, and we'll talk more about this next time. But uh, in summary, Balaam was an Old Testament prophet who lost sight of who he was in God. And so Balaam took the gifts that God gave him in a relationship with him, and then Balaam used them just to make money and actually uh, lead astray God's people. And in this spirit, the Balaam and Nicolaitan teachers said, to their, their fellows at church, they said, you know, believing in Jesus is fine, but we also need to make a living. And so we need to give whatever these employers are demanding of us to get a job. The employers demand that we, that we call Caesar Lord and not Jesus. And so let's just do it. And they demand that we attend these uh, sexual orgies. Let's just do it. And they demand that we eat ceremonial food that has been specifically given in worship to idols, and let's just give them what they demand so we can get some good jobs. But Jesus said, just like Balaam, you're forgetting who you are. And Jesus says to me, just like he says to the believers in Pergamum, he says, you need to decide. You need to decide who you are. Are you just what people demand you be in social situations, or are you who I declare that you are? From the realms of the unseen, Jesus declares that I am a light bringing sight to this dark world. I'm a good Samaritan bringing help and healing to the people around me. I'm an ambassador of God's kingdom. I'm a star guiding lost people to heaven. And I have the same call on my life that Balaam has. I'm a prophet, meaning I'm a messenger from God with a message of his love for this world. But like Balaam, I lose my declared identity whenever I bend to the demands of the public that is offering me just cheap comfort and cheap security if I will just shut up and conform. So who are you? Are you what people demand that you be in that social situation? Or are you carrying around an identity so you and every situation you find yourself are the same? You are who Jesus declares you are. One final thought. One final thought from 
Jesus in his letter on true identity, which is, I am not who I was. I am who I am becoming. And this comes back to Jesus and the end of the letter when he says, to the one who finds his identity in me, I will give a white stone with his new name on it that is known only between that person and me. What is this white stone? Well, the experts say that in ancient days um, that jurors were asked to uh, pass judgment on the accused using black stones and white stones. Uh, a juror would vote guilty with a black stone and innocent or not guilty uh, with a white stone. And if they are right, then here we have Jesus as a jury of one, the only one who matters, the jury of one. And when I find my identity in him, he declares me not guilty by giving me a white stone. But even more intriguing is what's on that white stone. Uh, it has my new name. Uh, this symbolizes the truth that in Christ, I am not who I was. I am who I am becoming in Jesus' eyes. And this is what it means for you to find yourself in Jesus and the unseen uh, plan that Jesus has for you. You must see that there is a day coming when you will see the one who is now unseen. You will see Jesus face to face, and he will give you a new name. And when you see that new name written on that white stone you hold in your hand, you will immediately recognize that this is the name that represents who you always dreamed you would become. And in that moment, Jesus speaks your new name, and that will begin heaven for you. And I don't uh, claim to have any inside knowledge on this, but uh, I can imagine how this will play out. Because I know a woman whose face uh, has been badly scarred by a uh, disease she had when she was a child. And as a girl, all she wanted to be was a, a beautiful princess. But she was teased as ugly. And this crushed her spirit. She's a woman now. And no one would call her, on a human level, pretty. But she follows Jesus. And she is filled with his spirit, such as she radiates a kindness that is divine. And she's always the first one to reach out to people here at church. And when she does, people don't see her face. They see this lovely spirit drawing them in to Jesus. And there's a day when she will stand before Jesus and he will give her a white stone with her new name. And when she opens her hand and looks at that stone, she will see that her name is beautiful because that is who she is to the only person who matters. She's beautiful to the person who has saved her and is making her into someone who is truly beautiful. And I know a man who is not considered special in any way, but that's because all the amazing things he does, he does in secret. He scrimps on his own needs so he can be generous to share with those who are in need in his life. 
And he does it anonymously so that all he can see is just the joy that comes to their faces with that secret gift. He doesn't just give money. He gives his time in secret service to people. And he also brings encouragement through secret prayer, praying, praying for people in his life along his life journey, just praying blessing upon them. And all this goes unseen, but is seen by the one who truly matters. And that one will give him a stone. And when he looks at his hand, he's going to see that his new name is Joy Giver. And when he sees it, he collapses in tears before Jesus because he realizes that this is who he always dreamed of being. And as you find yourself in Jesus, this will happen to you because you are not where you're living. You are who you're living for. You are not what they demand. You are who Jesus declares you are to him. You are not who you were. You are who you are becoming in Christ. And one day, you will open your hand, and you will look at that new name on a white stone and forever rejoice in Jesus that you have found yourself. Let's pray.